1: Excited. Excited for you. Partially
0: excited.
1: Hello, and welcome on today's episode of Partially Excited. We got the awesome Jackie Bailey. Oh my God, this woman is a director, an author. She helps lead young children to find their voice and communicate. She has a podcast, a book, she's on a radio show. What else is this woman not doing? Hello, welcome to the show, Jackie, how are you doing today?
2: Hi, Erin. Well, you make me sound better than I actually feel about myself most days, so thank you for that.
1: <laughs> As a, a well-known communicator, tell us about when you discovered your art of communication.
2: Wow. Uh, You know what? I think communication for me was not an art for many years. In fact, it somewhat eluded me because I grew up in an abusive home and I was told not to tell and therefore I was silenced. And I was not a good communicator, I was afraid to be. I was always afraid that I might say something or tell something I wasn't supposed to. So I was always reserved and held back, a very awkward in social situations. And it wasn't until a time in my life when another child was facing the same abuse. And I was at that time, an adult woman, and I was married and had two children, young children of my own. And I had to speak up to say the life of this other child. And that was actually the first time when I realized that I had something of value to say. And that started me on a different journey that then led to communicating more as an art and in actually competing in speech competitions. It was quite a turnaround. And it was because I I faced that horrible situation of either keeping silent and never letting anybody else know or speaking up, risking everything I had to do so.
1: This happened all throughout childhood and teenagerhood into adulthood. It did, yes. Wow, how did that feel to have that release of a commute, not to be silent anymore?
2: Well, it was frightening at first, cause, you know, at first, like I said, I was faced with the decision that if I break the silence, I don't know if my husband is still going to love me. I don't know if he's going to realize the that I had inside of me and what if I wasn't believed. And Someone thought I was crazy and wanted to take my kids away from me. So those were the, the terrorizing thoughts that I was faced with. And yet on the other side of that, knowing that I couldn't possibly allow someone else to be in the same position. And um, I thought about suicide a little bit, thinking, well, that might be the easiest thing to do. And then I wouldn't have to face this at all anymore. But then realized that if I took my own life, and no one knew what had happened to me, then my children wouldn't be protected either. So it was, it was a very traumatic time and it was not easy, but once I started down that path, I began to recognize that I did have a voice and I needed to use it in appropriate ways and that it was valuable. Whatever I had to say was valuable to hear. And uh, I used it several times after that. And each time I did, I changed and or saved someone else's life. And that, that became powerful to me in realizing that I was not the only one that had a powerful voice, that everybody's message needed to be heard. Everybody has the potential to change another's life or save another's life. And that's when I began to realize that children needed this if I had if I'd had someone who mentored me to learn the power of my voice as a child, it would have saved my life. It would have changed the way that I viewed life. It would have given me power much earlier on. And so that's why I do what I do today, running a nonprofit, helping children to understand that no matter how young they are, they are valued. Their voice is valued and should be heard
1: wow it shows us how empowering we are with our voice and it sounds like when you discovered it, it's like going to the gym i'm gonna lift this way that way this way and then boom i'm a champion you know yeah
2: <laughs> yeah it actually you're right if you use that metaphor there's some conditioning that has to take place and it's it's a scary process it's a painful process but then you get past a certain point and realize the pain is worth it because you're achieving things that you never imagined possible so that is a really great metaphor do you kind of wish you had a mentor growing up i do i mean i didn't have i had parents they were there but they weren't there Really, I was basically on my own and I didn't have anybody to really tell. I had no one to confide in. And it would have been really nice uh, to just to know that someone was looking out for me and someone cared about my welfare. And the challenge to that, as even now, I have a hard time asking for help. I have a hard time wanting to inconvenience anybody else, (laughs) so to speak. I've had some really great mentors, but I recognize the need for more. But like I say, it's it's a little bit hard for me to ask still. You get you get those thoughts ingrained in you and those ideas ingrained in you. It's not always easy to reverse them or change them.
1: I laugh because that's me at the moment and working through is I need help, but I don't want help. And yes. People like, ah, oh, Aaron and all oh, And they're like, I just need help. And yeah, I don't want to help. And I wonder, is it because we're just like macho? And it's like, oh, I can do this myself, you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: I know. I, I don't know where we got this idea that being independent meant that you couldn't have help, you know, or that asking for help is a weakness. What I've seen from my students, these young children that I teach, is that when they ask for help, it actually shows strength. It doesn't show weakness. It actually shows self-awareness and it shows self-esteem when you have the ability and the power to ask for what you need and and ask for what you want. I mean, that's strength. That's not weakness at all. And I've I've learned that through watching my students.
1: They say our students are our best teachers in some way, you know? Mm -hmm, For sure.
2: It is so for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you probably learned a lot from watching them and learning from them and figuring out how they interact with you.
2: Yeah, you know, it's so different today being a child than it was when I was growing up. I think my circumstances, of course, were challenging. However, I know that a lot of kids today have challenges that are just as disheartening for them. When I look at what happened during this pandemic... When kids were basically taken out of their routine and they were asked not to go to school, they were asked not to see their friends, they were unable to socialize and in many ways that made them voiceless. They were restrained from speaking out. Many of my students have told me that even though they were feeling a lot of sadness during this time, they also recognized that their parents were feeling stressed out. They they were worried about the future. They were uncertain about what was going to happen. And so the children felt that they couldn't bring more to their parents by speaking out and letting them know how they were feeling. So in many ways, my students have voiced the fact that they have felt repressed with their voice during this time because they just haven't felt like they could open up to the parents without causing more trauma to the family. And so in that case, it's a lot like what I experienced. And I know that children are probably more affected by this than we will ever know. Maybe not even for years, but we ever know it. And it's kind of sad because I think in many ways they've just been... We've assumed that they'll just get through this, that they're resilient and they'll bounce back and everything will be okay. And that might be true. And I hope that's true, but it may not be. And I think we can't just expect that to be the case without actually looking at situations and determining how are our children being affected by this.
1: Yeah, really, people don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it's interesting how, you know, kids feel what's happening. They're empathic and energetic beings on this planet and mm-hmm. whatever around them, they pick up. But yet the voice is so powerful. So that's kind of interesting. We don't recognize that either. That we can be repressed at the same time, but yet her voice is like, oh, yeah, it's still working, you know? <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. It just, it depends on how you view things, right? I mean, because children, even up to the age of seven, maybe even to 10, are just constantly downloading information. Everything that they're hearing and learning is considered truth and they can't spit it out. It's just there. And that's what shapes their personality. It's what shapes who they are and their self-esteem and self-worth. And so if we're not careful with what we're downloading during those years, we could be setting ourselves up for some challenges with these kids later on.
1: Yeah, and we're all, we all were once a kid. So we have some sort of experience in that of what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Why did you go and build this nonprofit?
2: That's a really good question. I, um, as I was <laughs> working through this art of becoming, better communicator and after i had went through the process of healing from my abuse and used my voice in many ways to help others to heal from that abuse as well i started to share my message in a competition i had joined toastmasters international which you know is a global organization that supports leadership and communication skills in its members and i had joined this organization and quickly became a leader in the organization the reason that i joined is because i'd started a business a a for-profit business that was a dental management consulting business because i'd had 30 years of experience in dentistry i had started this company to help dentists and their teams to be more profitable and so I joined Toastmasters International so that I could gain greater confidence speaking to potential clients who are doctors and feeling more confident and courageous in doing that. After working on that for many years and finding it challenging to convince doctors of the soft skills needed in their practices, that would eventually help them to be more profitable, but it wasn't an overnight you know, flip the switch kind of thing. And it was a hard sell for them because they wanted they wanted to see profitability right away and didn't understand the importance of leadership and communication skills within their practice. So after several years, I turned my focus to something different. I I expanded my business so that it wasn't just dentistry. It was pretty much communication and leadership skills. And I started to write a book about leading with teams. And then, when I got involved in the leadership of Toastmasters International, which itself is also a nonprofit. I didn't really have time to write a book. I was then working on my business full-time. Plus I was also volunteering full-time for this organization in leadership. And after four years or actually five years in leadership, I started to write my book again. I picked it up and thought, okay, now's when I need to finish this. But realized with all of the experience I'd gained in leadership, I had a different message. And so I wrote a completely different book. The focus of that book wasn't necessarily leading in teams, but it was leading your own life, how to possess certain characteristics and traits that I learned exceptional leaders have. That's what makes them exceptional. And that was what my book was about. Also during that time, as I said, I started to compete in some speech contests, which I was then eligible to do. And I thought, well, it's time now to start sharing the story of how I healed from abuse. Many people who knew me well over this five years of serving in this organization had no idea that I had been a survivor of abuse. And my message began to shock people because I spoke a little bit about the abuse to set the stage for the necessary component of forgiveness as being part of the healing process for that. And my message began to anger some people and then it also inspired other people. You know there were two sides to that because many people started going how could you ever forgive such a horrible monster or a life that you had to live and on the other side of that people were inspired to say wow i didn't realize that i still had some forgiving to do now i know that that's the course i need to take in order for my life to be healed the way you're telling me it can be so from both sides of the coin it was causing a ruckus <laughs> So to speak. And I kept moving up through the process, winning speech contest after speech contest. And it, it started where I was competing against about 33,000 people. And I made it to the semifinals. And that meant that I was in the top 98 of these 33,000 people. And during this time, while I was giving the speech and practicing it before each of these contests... People started to encourage me to change my message because they said that speaking about abuse, childhood childhood abuse particularly, is something that's cultural. It's the norm in some countries because this is an international contest. And they felt that some people in the audience would not connect with that and that I might actually be offending. Can you imagine (laughs) offending people when telling them child abuse isn't a good thing? (laughs) But anyway... These were well-meaning coaches, they were mentors, they were people that I admired and looked up to. And I listened to them and I started to change my message. And I tried to make it lighter, I tried to make it funnier. The more and more I did that, the less it became my message. And so by the time I got to the semifinals, I didn't even give that speech. It was a mistake. I gave a mediocre speech, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the message that I had prepared my entire life to give. And when I didn't, at that point, move on to the finals, I was pretty devastated. And I began to question if I even had anything important to say. I began to question whether I was worth listening to again. You know, it was those old tapes that started playing back to me. Even after all that I had gone through to heal, those old tapes are still there. We have to be real careful because certain events will start that tape player, go on again, And if you let it play too long, it really starts to affect your ability to speak out more. So I was wondering, what am I going to do after that loss? And I answered an ad. I answered an ad for a homeschool group that was looking for somebody to come teach a group of middle school students public speaking skills. And I thought, well, I can do that. (laughs) So I I did. I I looked into it and this group uh, hired me, so to speak, and I started teaching this group of eighth graders every week. And then we did another eight or nine weeks. And then the schools that were in the area started hearing about what I was doing and they were sending some of their students after school over so that I could do some more classes and things picked up from there. I started to advertise my the curriculum that I had developed and when my classes were going to be And I was renting conference rooms and community centers, wherever I could be to hold these classes. And I was driving in all different places, probably within a hundred mile radius to give these classes weekly at different places. And I was eating my three meals in the car and it got kind of crazy. And that, was, that started in 2015, but in 2018, while giving some summer courses that year and having about 80 students through that summer, I also happened upon a little house, a 100-year-old house that was zoned in a commercial setting. It had been unused for a couple of months, It was perfect for creating a little classroom for me to hold my classes. So in 2018, I opened an actual public speaking studio in the town of Redmond in the state of Washington, USA. For the first time, I had students coming to me (laughs) for their classes. There was one central location and uh, it was really great. And so then... A year went by and I realized, you know, this is really turning out great, but there's so many kids who can't afford these classes. What about them? They need these skills as well. So in 2019, I decided to become a nonprofit so that we could reach the kids in the school districts, the public school system, which wouldn't talk to me unless I was a nonprofit. That was sort of the impetus for it. But they already had access to a lot of these kids who needed these supports, but could not because of socioeconomic reasons participate. They could not pay for it. So getting my situation settled as a nonprofit allowed me then to have access to more children. And so in 2019, we became a nonprofit. And then in 2020, the pandemic hit (laughs) just as we were going pretty full steam we had to pivot everything to online and change everything we were doing. It ended up ended up being a good thing, but it was quite a challenge in a short period of time as we were you know, reorganizing everything anyhow. So that was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> yes. And I apologize, but that is why we became a nonprofit, so that we could reach the unreachable kids. Those are in prison, those are, who are in uh, foster care, those are in homeless camps and things like that.
1: Wow. It shows you how in your story, Toastmasters and everything, it's real fascinating to hear. And what's what struck me was the message. You, you changed your message and realized, oh, this isn't my message. And doubt kicked in and all this. And then I'm making this school and I'm teaching these children. And It's just exciting because I do think kids have, should have the opportunity to learn how to have their voice spoken. And it's fantastic, you know.
2: Yeah. And you know, if I had won the contest, I would not have had this opportunity. I don't, I don't think I would have, I would have, my schedule would have been full doing other things and I would not have been looking for an opportunity like I was. So, you know, it's, it all makes sense when I look back and you go, well, the reason that I was giving that message wasn't necessarily for that international audience. Anyway, it was because I needed to empower these kids. And that's what I, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I wouldn't have made it that decision had it not been for all of those steps before that. And uh, it's, it's really heartwarming now to give children a stage, give them a venue where they feel free to talk about what it is that really matters to them. They don't get that in school and many times they don't get that at home either because life is so busy with parents making sure everything's staying on a schedule and and i'm not saying that happens in every household but i was a parent and i'm a grandparent so i know how how busy life can get and you kind of fall in this routine but you don't take time to sit down and actually talk with your kids Many of these children don't, don't have any other place where they can just completely share their feelings. And those feelings don't always have to be bad feelings, but even just the things that matter most to them and the things that bring them joy, the challenges that they face, we give them opportunity to be able to talk about that. And we do it in teams, so everyone is supportive of each other. It's actually really cool to to help not only for the one, the child who's speaking about their issues, but also teaching the children to listen for the inspirational impact that someone else's story can have on them. Helping children to recognize that everybody has a story, that everybody's voice is of value, not only their own, but that everybody should be heard and listened to. My dream is that the world will be a better place because kids understand the power that we all have and the part that we play here
1: yeah the the universe swings one door for us and opens another door. Uh, you know, I'm doing toastmasters at the moment, and I wish I was the kid could have that opportunity to explore leadership, voice, all the things you're teaching because we're we need it in the world and it's fantastic to see and and yet, and yet um we're we're discovering who we are and our gifts and becoming the superhero in some way, you know.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I tell my students your words and your voice, that's your superpower because you can literally change the way someone feels. You can change the way someone thinks you can spew poison or you can make a powerful impact in the way someone feels about themselves because of your voice and the words you use. It is a superpower in every way.
1: I totally agree. I wish the world could harness it more and more than reject it in some way. Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Many of us are still being silenced. Um, I don't know about you, but here in the U.S., It's highly political right now, and many people feel silenced because they believe in one thing politically, but they can't actually voice that for fear that they're going to be ridiculed or actually silenced or shut down. So it's, it's a strange era we live in where we preach that everybody has value and everybody should be recognized for what they contribute. And yet at the same time, we're saying, but only if you believe what I believe do I want to hear from you. <laughs> and it's just not right.
1: When did you discover leadership?
2: Leadership for me took a completely different meaning when I served in Toastmasters International. I became what was then was called the district leader or the district governor. Actually, there were three positions before that. So there was at that time, there was a lieutenant governor marketing who was responsible for building new clubs, creating sovereign nonprofits and teaching people what the organization was about, providing these demonstrations of what the program offered and the benefits that it would be to them and basically closing all these deals. And that was the first leadership position in that on its way to the area governor. The next position after that, which I served in each a, a year in each of these, the next position was called at that time the Lieutenant Governor of Education and Training. The responsibilities that went with that were training hundreds of officers, club officers and leaders how to meet certain milestones for the year. It also involved putting on two annual conferences, biannual conferences every year that included keynote speeches that included breakout sessions and contests and three meals sometimes and award ceremonies and things like that so those were it was a big change in responsibility from growing new clubs but it was a whole different way to lead right and then as the district governor which you work into next then you're responsible for these tremendously large budgets making sure that your clubs are taken care of, that they're supported, that their officers and leaders have what they need to serve their members as best they can. And plus, you're overseeing all of the other positions in the district. It was like being the CEO of a company with 4,000 employees. There's no other opportunity I think I could have ever had to lead something like that other than this particular situation. And so not only was I leading in all of these different ways, but also during that time, personally, we were undergoing some very heavy financial losses. My husband's business of 15 years had to close. My business was suffering we lost our home. We lost our cars. Our son had an um, accident where he had a traumatic brain injury and bilateral skull fractures. We weren't sure he was gonna live. My husband lost his mother in death and we lost some other family members during that time. It was definitely not easy and there were times when I wanted to quit because it, it was a it's a volunteer organization. I never got paid a penny. <laughs> for those four or five years that I was serving. And people thought I was crazy that we were having all of these challenges and yet I was still spending time working on this organization. And so the most important lesson I learned in leadership, Aaron, was that if it wasn't for service, if I didn't have a reason to get up in the morning, knowing that there were people counting on me to lead them and to guide them and to inspire them, no matter what was happening with me, then I wouldn't have gotten up in the morning. I remember specifically the day that my car was repossessed. That morning, I had to be at a meeting where a Toastmaster Club was going to be formed. And it was my responsibility to lead it. And yet my car was just taken away from me an hour before. (laughs) And so I had to figure out how am I going to get there? And how am I going to just keep on moving forward, even though I was feeling complete and utter sadness and and desolation? And how how was I going to pull that off? And so what I learned is that leadership is about that. It's, it's leaving your problems at the door and coming in and inspiring the people at, that you need to inspire, no matter what's happening with you. That was a huge lesson for me. And that's what my book is about, really. It's called Self-Centered Leadership. And it's really about learning that self is an acronym for four characteristics you have to have to be exceptional. And that is sacrifice. It's empowerment, love, and friendship self and when you find yourself centered in self then you will inspire you will motivate you will guide people to greater and greater things and that's what leadership truly is it's not about building followers it's about developing more leaders and helping people to see the skills they have to lead and then empowering with them with the tools to do so wow
1: i, I love it. um I got the feeling that Toastmaster was kind of your way of dealing with the your personal problems that you were having at the time, being a leader, and it must have been hard to have all that. Yeah, but it sounds like you got up and you still held the meetings and you still did what needs to be done, you know?
2: Yeah, and that's what kept me going, like I said, is that because my business, I didn't really have clients at the time that were depending on me. My children were growing up and they were going out of the house, so it was really my husband and I. So I could have been completely withdrawn at the time, but I couldn't be because people were counting on me to be the leader of this volunteer situation. And so that's what gave me value at the time. That was the only thing that I found value. In fact, I was even struggling with my own faith, you know, and feeling abandoned by my creator. Even that was not a strong enough pull to get me out of the hole emotionally that I was in. It was really, it was Toastmasters. It was my leadership there. It was my responsibilities there that kept me going.
1: I think it's because you felt worthy of being there, you know?
2: Well, I think that the organization made me feel that what I had to give was worthy of their service, you know, my time for them. And it did give me a sense of value that I had a purpose. like I said, if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have recognized my purpose.
1: It's interesting how purpose drives us. You know, we give purpose to people to find their voice. We give purpose to different things. And purpose is kind of the driving seat of what makes inspiration and leadership a part of who we are and what we are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If you're not willing to serve, then you're not willing to lead you know, or you're not going to be a successful leader. Leadership really is truly about serving.
1: Do you think now with all that serving, you're serving people in a different way from what Toastmaster taught you?
2: I'm serving people still in the same way in many regards, but it's just like anything else, any other characteristic you have, it matures and it expands over time and it blossoms into stronger and stronger ways. And so even though I'm still working on those leadership lessons, the sacrifice, the empowerment, the love and the friendship, that's still my mission every day but it is expanded into greater and greater opportunities and touching more and more people through the messages that I provide and the actions I take and the curriculum that I develop and the instruction that I give and the mentorship that I provide, all of it is just, it's the same, but it's also more expansive at the same time.
1: What inspires you to do what you do?
2: I feel driven to empower other people. I knew what it was like to feel completely powerless and it wasn't good. There was one voice in my head through all those years of abuse that kept telling me, if I made it through this, I was going to be strong. I was going to be strong if I made it through this. And that voice was always in my head as a child. And that's what kept me going. Also, it was still there through the painful part of healing. My counselor asked me to do a lot of things that I thought impossible. When she first told me that I would need to forgive someday, I laughed because it felt like she was asking me to pick up a semi truck trailer and throw it across the road with my bare hands. I mean, it seemed that impossible to me that she was asking me to forgive. But she walked it back by saying, hey, look, I'm not telling you you have to do that today or tomorrow or even by the last day of your life. But she said, if you're not working toward being able to do that, then you will never fully heal. And those were the most empowering words that I'd ever heard. And so I thought, well, I can try to work toward that. If I don't have to do it right now, then I can try to work toward that. And so I recognize that when we have something to work toward, even if it seems impossible for someone to ask it of us now. If we're willing to work a little bit toward that end every single day, that's when we are empowered. And that's what I try to help people to do is to see the potential, see what they have that they can give or that they can be or that they do or that the inspiration that their message will bring to other people. And then I help them see that every day they can get closer and closer to getting wherever it is they want to be in that situation. And it's only because someone empowered me to do that. And that's so that's my mission is to really empower myself and to empower those around me every day. And if I'm not doing that, I feel that I'm failing.
1: Why is empowering yourself so important to your mission and who you are?
2: Because it's hard to not let those old tapes play in my head. Having a for-profit business and having a non-profit business is not easy. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's a lot of work and it's, and it's a lot of challenges. And there are times, especially during this pandemic, when you feel like giving up. You question whether or not people are listening to you. Why isn't why aren't people responding? Why aren't people giving? Why aren't people understanding how important this mission is? Why do people not care about these kids? You know, all of those thoughts go through your head, which are old tapes that were put into my head years and years ago. You know, they were downloaded there and I can't get them out. And once in a while, I let them start playing again. And so empowering myself is recognizing when those voices start coming back. And no matter what's happening in the business, I have to just find ways to keep moving forward, to find the happy thoughts, to find the mission, to find ways to empower somebody else and get back on track and keep going. And it's not easy. It's a conversation I have with myself every day. So that's why empowering yourself is so important, so that you don't let those old tapes start controlling your thoughts. Because when your thoughts are controlled that way, then your emotions are controlled, and then every conversation you have with people is going to be skewed by your emotions. And whether and if they're negative emotions, then that relationship is not going to be good. But if they are controlled by helpful, hopeful positive emotions then the inspiration then will come for that person you're talking to to see your your mission and get get your vision clearly in their minds and be willing to help you that's what i've learned i wish there's a day where you could
1: take off those tapes and just chill by the beach you know
2: oh that's my (laughs) dream (laughs) i have been literally called to the caribbean Over the last two years, and every time I say that, it sounds so silly because people go, well, who doesn't want to go to the Caribbean? And that may be true. However, I strongly feel that there is something calling me there. I don't know if there's one child who needs this. I don't know if there's a culture of people who need this for whatever reason. And in fact, in 2020, just as the pandemic began, I had to change my plans. I was actually going to be in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, part of the Caribbean, that summer to do some classes for a group, another nonprofit group. And I was so excited because this was going to be the answer to what I had been being driven to do And then that had to be changed. So we never did get to the Caribbean. And, you know, that opportunity now is not as strong a a possibility as it was then. So who knows? But I still feel drawn there for some reason. One of these days we'll get there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The, The tapes, when you just say tapes, is that like old emotional things that are kind of popping up in your head over your lifetime that have been icky for you?
2: Yeah, it's it's the people in my life in those times telling me either literally or figuratively that I had no value, you know, don't tell whatever you do, don't tell. And that means your voice doesn't matter. It means what you have to say isn't important. And in fact, when I would get courage to tell when I was young, then I would be disciplined for tattling. <laughs> and so, Again, that reiterated what you have to say is not important enough to be heard. And so those are the tapes that play in my head is the things that I was that I was told early on that, you know, what are you doing? You're crazy by by trying to speak that out because your voice doesn't matter. No one's listening to you. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. And as a nonprofit, I need people to hear me. I need people to understand that kids need them, that kids need their support, kids need their help. And so when those tapes start playing that my voice isn't important, that I should just be quiet and no one's listening to me, so why, why talk up anyway? You know, that's dangerous for the kids. And I have to remember that because it's no longer my voice that needs to be heard. It's their voice. And if I stop speaking up, then they don't get heard. So it's it's this constant... <laughs> A battle going on in my head of the old tapes telling me to shut up, and the new tapes saying you have to keep speaking, or the children will be silenced. Boom. I
1: sometimes wonder: could we turn off those old tapes and just <sighs> say, "This is who I am"? You know, the stress of it. You know. Yeah,
2: I think we can. I just haven't figured out a way to do it yet. But I'm hopeful that there's a way to just completely turn those off and never have them come up again. For me, it's a lot of chakra energy type work, which is not something that I was raised to think about. And so that's new information that's being put into my head now. And I'm learning how to do that. I'm learning how to tap into those energy centers. I'm learning how to put new thoughts and information in my brain and in my consciousness. So I'm not good at it yet, but I'm working on that, hoping that by perfecting that, I can get rid of those old tapes. We'll see.
1: (laughs) Ooh, when you get the, the secret, come tell me because uh, we all need that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's a quote you have in your bio from Whitney Houston. Why did you pick that quote to add into your bio?
2: Well, Whitney Houston, I don't, I think she wrote the song. I don't know if she wrote it, but she sang it um, where she says, I believe the children are a future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. I wish that I could use that as our theme song. Because that is exactly what we're trying to do is teach the children how to lead their own way by using their voice understanding the importance of their message. Uh, that song has always inspired me, even before I was doing this, I, I always enjoyed listening to that song. I grew up., oh, I graduated high school in the 80's and then we we're having kids in the 80's. And so that, that song was, sing, was playing a lot. I had young children at the time, and so it was an inspiration for me that the children are our future. And at that time, the the song was talking about my own children, and I was trying to teach them well and to help them to lead their own way. And now it brings a different meaning to me as I'm helping the world's children to lead their own way. So that's why I have that in my bio.
1: Awesome. it's a cool quote. I love it. Yeah. um, You said you were a dentist for a while. Why did you want to become in the teeth department?
2: Well, I was actually never a dentist, but I was just about everything else. (laughs) It was a strange situation. I was kind of led to go into dental assisting school because of the abuse I suffered and because the family I grew up in, I was never actually told that I should go to college it was never suggested to me that there was any, anything educational that happened after high school. It was just, you know, you grow up and then what? And so my focus was always, well, I just got to grow up. I got to survive another day. And I never really dreamed about my future. I never thought about what I might be or what I could do. It was just never, it was just never entered my mind. And so once high school was over, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I actually got an opportunity to go live with a family friend and his family in uh, Utah from where I was living in Arizona at the time. And that summer I worked for him. He was flipping motels. And so I was doing manual labor, putting up uh, sheetrock and painting, climbing up scaffolding and, (laughs) and staining high walls and things like that. So out of high school, I was doing this manual labor and I came back for a holiday. And when I say back, I mean, I went back to Arizona where I had been raised and I was there for a holiday and I met up with an old friend and she was telling me about her sister who went to dental school to become a dental assistant. And the minute she said that, I felt something. I thought, oh, wow, that sounds interesting. I wonder if I could do something like that. I'd never thought about it before i didn't even go to dentist that much when i was a kid maybe twice you know because again my family just wasn't into things like that and so i went to a school nearby and i checked it out and i secured my own grant i secured my own financing to go to be a dental assistant and it was a it was an 11-month program i graduated a month after i got married And I started assistant and I did that in Arizona for a couple of years. And then we actually moved to Washington state and I did some more dental assisting there. And then I had an opportunity to be hired by an oral surgeon. I I discovered that I really loved surgery. There was an oral surgeon here in Washington who had the reputation of being the ultimate employer that he appreciated his team. He had people on his staff that were competent and enjoyed doing things together. And it sounded to me like it was too good to be true. And so I applied for this position, not really thinking that I would get it. And I did. I actually got a job offer from them. And then of course, those old tapes started going in, well, you don't know what you're doing. enough experience in surgery what's going to happen when they figure out that you're a total fraud you know I started those those things started going through my head again and I worked for the surgeon for 13 years and it was the best experience as an employee that I'd ever had because everything I'd heard was true he knew exactly how to treat people. He knew nice people, how to appreciate what people were doing. And he called us his dream team um, because together we accomplished wonderful things. And we helped patients through some of the scariest times of their life. And so after doing that for now, twenty twenty five 25 years at that point in dentistry, I decided that I wanted to do something different. I had a lot of experience now, but what could I do with it? I knew what was good. I knew what was bad in leadership and how to run practices. And I was sitting with a hygienist friend of mine and telling her about my woes and what was I going to do. And she said, well, it sounds like you want to be a consultant, like you want to train people how to to do this. And I went, yeah, that sounds pretty good, a consultant. I'd never even used the word before. And that's when I started my first business, my for-profit business, Emerald City Consulting. I wanted to help dental practices to be successful. And I had actually helped a few of them make their first million. And that's the experience that I took into my business. So that's kind of my journey in dentistry. I'm not involved at all in dentistry any longer, but it set me on a course toward Communication and leadership and learning not only the good that happens when you work for someone who recognizes how powerful their team needs to be versus people who don't recognize that as a necessity at all and are constantly having turnover and spending money training new people all the time. That started me learning about how to lead and how to communicate well with people so that everything that came after that was just more and more information at a higher, higher level. What was the burning instinct to be consulting, you know? I don't know that it was the term consultant as much as it just, I knew that I wanted to train people. I knew that I had this experience and more people needed to understand how to make it happen in a good way. That the methods of just hiring people uh, that had, you know, certain experience and then never training them again or never recognizing the value they have for your company and how they serve your patients. I mean, especially in dentistry, even as a patient, you know that you really don't see the dentist that often. It's everybody else that you have connection with first. You know, you walk in and you talk with a person who greets you at the front desk. And then chances are you're going to have some x-rays taken by an assistant. And then you're going to see a hygienist. And then the doctor comes in for maybe 10, 15 minutes, if you're lucky. Then they say, well, I've got a great dentist. But the reality is it's the staff that makes the experience worthwhile. And dentists don't understand that. They believe, based on my experience with them, that being a good clinician is going to make you a good business owner. It's going to make you a good employer. And that could not be further from the truth. (laughs) My role as a consultant, as a trainer, was to teach them that their clinical skills is not why people are coming there. Nobody really knows what makes a good dentist or not because they don't look in people's mouths and go, oh, who did that filling for you? average person has no idea what makes a good dentist. They just recognize the experience they have while they're there. And if they have a good experience, they're going to come back. So what I was trying to train is, is to have the experience. What does the experience look like? How do you give your patients the experience that will make them come back? They don't know if you're a good dentist or not. They just know the experience that you gave them. So that was what I tried to train. And it was was a hard sell because it was based on the soft skills that most doctors do not appreciate (laughs) as valuable. I
1: totally agree. It is the soft skills because it's just open your mouth, it's rummage around your mouth, and there you go. <laughs> you know? Yep,
2: exactly. You know, and no one like I said, no patient really knows if the dentist is any good or not. They just know if they feel comfortable there. They feel they know if they feel taken care of. They know if there's good communication going on and that kind of thing, but they don't they know the clinical side of things. So that's the fallacy that I think most dentists believe is it's I'm a, I'm a good dentist, so that should make me successful. Well, <laughs> unfortunately it's not. <laughs> And I'm with you
1: next. I'll open my mouth and I'll see uh, if you can spot my teeth since you're a good dentist, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And yet it's the one thing that people don't like going to, which is kind of bizarre at the same time, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot to do with the experience that they have, you know, because it is it's very intimidating. I mean, think about it. You're in this position where your mouth is open again. You're silenced. You can't really speak. Uh, It's hard to let people know what you're feeling. And I mean, you're pretty vulnerable. You have to trust this person who's who's in your mouth. I mean, they could drop something down your throat or anything. And so it's an uncomfortable situation to be put in. And that's why the experience is so important, because that trust has to be there. The rapport has to be there with your patients. And if it's not, then people aren't They're going to have a bad experience. You know, that's what they're going to report. Well, I this dentist was bad. It wasn't that he did a bad feeling or she did a bad feeling it's just they had a bad experience there so that's what you have to work on with your clients with your patients is the experience
1: everything in life is experience you know knowledge stories all comes back to how your experience is how you're demonstrating through that experience in life you know childhood business etc it's interesting isn't it
2: this quote has been attributed to many people. I've heard it uh, being said by Maya Angelou. I've heard people say it was Oprah Winfrey, but no matter who said it, it's a great quote. And that is people won't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Again, that speaks to the experience. People will find you credible when you provide them an experience of joy they will find you incredible or or they will lack credibility if you provide them an experience of fear or uncomfortableness or things like that. That puts the onus on us as individuals to make sure that the people that we connect with and we have contact with are having a good experience with us so that they know how much we care and then they'll care about how much we know.
1: Yeah. And, and probably, you know, we go to restaurants, we tell our friend, oh, I was at this restaurant because this it's not the food. It's the, the love and the care. And mm-hmm. I, would, I would also assume teaching kids how to toastmasters their voice. It's probably their experience of this is new. This is interesting. This is wow, you know.
2: Yeah. In fact, you know, I'm sure you've heard this too, that fear of public speaking in the top 10 fears that human beings have. It's either in the top it's either first or second, depending upon the list that you look at, (laughs) only ever preceded by death. So death is usually number one and fear of public speaking is number two, or those are reversed sometimes, but it's always in the top two. And you wonder, why is that? Why do we fear public speaking so much? And it's because the experience that we've had Sharing our voice like like me, you know, when people says, oh, that that wasn't important or, you know, you shouldn't be tattling or things like that. And that's where we get that fear of public speaking is the reactions that we've had from other people, the experiences that they've given us or provided to us through when we've tried to share our voice. Right. So what I'm hoping to do with our students is that they won't have those bad experiences, public speaking that by catching that early we can provide them the experience where i just gave a speech and i got a standing ovation or my teammates just told me that they really liked my story or they laughed at what i said because it was a funny story i was telling and if you can give kids opportunities to have good experiences speaking up and speaking out, then that fear is gonna be way down on the list, maybe not even be in that top 10 list. And that's part of our mission too, is to get rid of that. Because I think it's becoming more and more important in the age of social media that we speak out, that we, are, that we understand our value system and that we don't want to compromise on that and be swayed by whatever political climate we're living in. It's really going to be important for the next generation to know who they are, to know why they are who they are, and to be able to speak out with courage about anything they want to say without fear of retribution, without fear of being hated. It still might happen, but because they have the confidence in what they're saying, it won't matter to them because they'll recognize the importance of it. So that's what I'm hoping.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's the same way too. But I also think as adults, we have that kid inside us that's looking to come out the same way the kids when they're young. It's the Mm -hmm. exact same opposite regardless for 200 years old or five years old, you know?
2: Yeah, I think it is human nature to want to speak. I think we recognize that as our superpower, like I mentioned earlier, that it is our voice that changes situations it's what we say that gets a reaction from people i mean we learn that from a very newborn baby the minute we cry there's a reaction by the people around us they pick us up they feed us they you know change us whatever and so that might be the very first piece of real learning that takes place in us is i do something with my voice and there's a reaction there and so it's this foundational part of us and we want to be able to use our voice to speak out. And if that is taken away from us for one reason or another, whether figuratively or literally, then it changes us. It changes our sense of being human. It changes our sense of being important. And that can only be bad to a species of people you know, <laughs> who want to use their voice. Even babies who are born deaf use their voice. They still babble up until they're about six months old. That's how important our voice is. And even though they can't hear themselves babbling or even hear anybody else talking, deaf babies still babble. They still use their voice. So it's it's something that we just take for granted. But it is the, the most important part of us.
1: Yeah, there's two things I think we take for granted is how we speak and how we listen, you know?
2: Yep, absolutely.
1: Jackie, outside of your voice and everything, do you think there are any other superpowers or what makes you superhuman in any way?
2: <laughs> hmm. well, I will tell you that uh, one of the more important moments of my life, was not only when I finally broke the silence of the abuse, but when I was able to face my abuser and say three very magical words, which were, I forgive you. Those three magical words opened the door to his prison cell. In all those years that I was working toward being able to forgive, I honestly never knew that at some point my place as a victim, his victim for so many years had been actually switched to he had become my victim because he could no longer abuse me. However, I had imprisoned him because of his actions. He was not able to progress in life until I freed him by forgiving him. I didn't know all of that was going on in the background with his life, but when I flew 1500 miles home for the main purpose of seeing him and saying, I forgive you, I didn't realize that he then could finally progress. And he did, his life changed. And so the power of forgiveness is another superpower that we have that is not just because it will help us feel better. It's not just because it will free us from those old tapes that play in our head or the anger that we might feel about being wronged. And it doesn't remove the validity of that wrong that, that was perpetrated on us. It doesn't do that at all. It, it doesn't remove the importance of how that affected our life. However, what we don't often realize is that by forgiving, we actually free two lives. That our life is actually opened up for brand new possibilities that could never before be imagined, but so is the life of the person who did the horrific act on us, right? And I actually gained some compassion for that person because I knew that he had also been abused. People don't go hurt people unless they're hurting. You know, hurt people, hurt people, hurting people, hurt people. And so if you can see the compassionate side of that person who may have hurt you horribly and look at the reason that they did that is likely because they were also hurt horribly. It's not an excuse and it doesn't lessen what happened to you. But it allows you to open up that powerful part of yourself that says, I'm no longer going to let this control who I am. It's not going to define me any longer, nor am I going to let it define that person. I'm not going to let their actions, their mistakes be held over their head for their entire life because that's destructive for the world. And so if I can play a small part in forgiving myself and forgiving that person, now they can also forgive themselves. The whole world's affected by that because the vibration that has changed because of that simple act is felt around the globe. I mean, it just is. And so if more of us were willing to forgive, if more of us were willing to open that superpower part of ourselves and just say, sincerely, I forgive you. I can't even imagine the change that would take place in our world.
1: It'd be a vibrational explosion or earthquake.
2: Wouldn't it be amazing?
1: Yeah, it would be.
2: And we have to use our voice for that. So it's, it's a separate superpower, but using our voice is how that happens. Whether it's written. I know sometimes we don't have a physically can't speak and that's okay, but we can write it down. That's still our voice. You know, I teach my students about Dr. Masuru Emoto. Have you heard of him? Yeah, the water guy. Yeah, the water guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that there's a lot of science that says that was, you know, a bunch of baloney. But I've had my students experiment and test his words. So they, they take on this little scientific mode, right? And we say, there's some people who doubt this. I personally believe it. So let's check it out. Let's see what you guys think about it and see how it affects you. And so my students learn about the experiments that he performed, and then they are asked to perform some of their own experiments. And every single one of my students has proven that it's accurate. Based on their experiences, I've had students that will come back and say, you know, I set a goal that for one week, I was gonna say only positive words to myself I was going to say only positive words to my mom, which is really hard because me and my mom don't get along very well. But I use only positive words with my mom for one week and they'll come back and they'll say, you know what? It was amazing. My mom was smiling more. We had really good talks. We laughed together and they said, I felt better, but it was, what was wonderful is that my mom, I could see the difference in my mom. And so they'll come back and say, I now know that what I say to people truly makes a difference in how they feel. And that changes my world too. In every single instance, my students have come back with reports like that. And so it's really powerful when they can learn that themselves, when they can try something and figure out, hey, this guy might seem like a weirdo to some people, but to me, his words ring completely true. And that is not, it was meant to be a pun. (laughs) And so that's that's exciting, too, that they get to experience things like that and experiment themselves with their own powers.
1: I love it because they get to be curious and they get to explore and experiment with things that are kind of quirky, but not in the world of ordinary. Oh, that's odd. But yet they're being curious, you know?
2: Yeah. And, you know, when you when you're talking to youth who are being raised in a very technical society, right, Mm -hmm. things like that, it kind of when I first introduced the idea to them, they think, well, this is really nuts. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) but that's why I want them to try it for themselves, because it doesn't matter what I say, unless again, you know, unless they know how it affects them, they're not going to really want to to try it out. So so they just they try it and they figure out, you know, what this actually works, there could be something to this. That leads them then into a whole different dynamic of using positive words more than the negative words in everything they do. And so then longer term, they report, you know, I, I'm not bullied at school anymore. I get better grades. My teachers seem to really understand me better. I mean, there's there's so many consequences that you don't think about when all you do is make a slight change in yourself and the ripple effect comes into play in so many different areas. And so it's really exciting to see my students Students learn about that too and recognize it without me even really trying. It just happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like the human abacus, you know, a tilt one here, here, one there, and boom, you know?
2: Yeah, actually. Yeah. Perpetual, perpetual motion of words. When, when it starts, then it just keeps going on and on and on. It echoes around the world.
1: Yeah, positivity. And, the, and the fuel and the engine is positivity, you know? Yep.
2: We're doing a lot of really cool things at the Speak Feed Lead Project and it's not just about getting up on a stage and giving a speech. There's so much more to what we're teaching these kids than that. I mean, we're really helping them to have a different mindset. We're really helping them to understand who they are, the value they have as a person on this planet and the part they have to play, which is an important part, that a part that only they can play and that they have a unique life experience that is going to inspire someone else. Maybe more people than they can ever imagine, but at least one person is going to be inspired by their message. When a child knows that, you know, the effects that, again, that that's going to have on the world, I think it's immeasurable, you know. Right now we're actually working on a project with them where we are helping them to write a chapter of a compilation book. So 40 of our students will each write a chapter and it, their chapter can be about anything they want. It could be fiction, it could be nonfiction, it could be poetry, it could be an informational type speech about their favorite sport or about watercolors, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. They have around a thousand words that they can use in their chapter to share with the world, whatever they want to. And then this book is going to be compiled by a publishing company. It will be designed, it will be edited, and it will be published in all the usual bookstores that Amazon and Barnes and Noble and every, everywhere you can buy books now, uh, that book will be there. And now our students will be able to go to book signings. They can sign the, a book that people will buy. They can talk about their chapter. We actually are also partnering with an organization that does TED Talks for Kids. And so once this book is published, imagine the credibility that's now going to be added to their resume for for a TEDx organization uh, so that they can get on stage as a TED speaker and again, voice whatever message they want to. I mean, the empowering aspect of that is tremendous. And it's so much more than just public speaking. That actually seems kind of lame (laughs) when we say that because it's so much more. I mean, these are the future leaders of our world. And my hope is that they're going to understand truly the power that they have and they're going to be, they're going to know how to use it for positivity and good in the world. And I really look forward to the day when that shift happens because kids that are coming up through the ranks know exactly what their powers are and use them for good.
1: Yeah, all those comic book characters we see will be now in the world due to what you're doing with all these amazing children.
2: I hope so, that'd be really cool. (laughs) Are there any other tools
1: you use to help them get into that positive state of curiosity?
2: Well, yeah, you mentioned superheroes. And we do a little bit of study on that in our curriculum as well. We, we look at some of those. I know they're legendary. They're not real people. But when we can look back at the life of some of these superheroes like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, we see that the things that made them super are the challenges they had in life. You know, here comes here's Superman who doesn't really know who he is and is living in what he doesn't know is a world not of his own. He's a foreigner here and he is given a blessing of being able to figure out his genealogy understand his heritage and for the first time sees who he really is and then takes the power that he now understands and uses it to serve and to love and to help other people. And many times children feel like, oh man, this family of mine is crazy. I don't feel like I fit here. I feel different all the time. And when they then begin to learn about their heritage, they see the importance of who they really are, where they come from, what powers they have because of the history of their family and the traditions become more important to them. And they then begin to see how they can focus on their heritage as being a more powerful part of who they are. Okay. So that's Superman. We also, you know, talk about Batman who witnessed the murder of his father. Yet was blessed financially to be able to innovate new ways to fight crime and to empower people and to fight uh, fraud and abuse within governments and things like that. And yet that traumatic experience could have changed him in a bad way but he was determined to make it a good thing and many children can see that now especially during the pandemic they can see the challenges the trauma that they have gone through but through their creativity their curiosity their innovative mindsets think about the ways they have the ability to change the world think about the ways they have the ability to serve other people and make a difference. And so we do a lot of study on on those for that reason, not necessarily that I want them to, you know, want to be like Superman or anything like that. But they recognize then that all of those people who are now superheroes at one point were just average people who became extraordinary because they did something extraordinary. (laughs) ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And they have the ability to do that as well.
1: Love it. It's amazing. Extraordinary with ordinary spices. Yeah. 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 Um, Jackie, as we start to wrap up, um, is there one piece of advice you'd like to share for yourself or the or for someone on the street or whoever needs that, that pearl of wisdom?
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity to do that. For me, I believe the foundation of our communication is conversation. And that is where we start with our students is teaching them how to have a conversation with people. How to look someone in the eye, ask them a question, a sincere desire to know and answer and ask question after question until they learn the story about that person and understand the value that that person has in their life. So my advice to anyone listening, I'm going to give them the five rules of effective conversation that they can put into play right away and i think they'll see a difference in how they connect with people so the first rule is address the other person you're talking to by name learn their name use their name and when you start a conversation with someone use their name dale carnegie who wrote how to win friends and influence people he taught us that our own name is the sweetest word in any language so when people say your name you suddenly feel connected you feel recognized and acknowledged And we have the power to do that to someone else. So the rule, first rule is address the other person that you're talking to by name. Secondly, is to make eye contact with them. And as much as possible, keep eye contact with that person because you're letting them know they are your main focus. Don't get distracted by what's going on behind them or be distracted by the TV or a game that you're playing. Stop what you're doing. Look at that person. Look at them in the eye. Let them know they're important to you. Okay, that's rule number two. The third rule is to ask questions and not just typical, hey, how you doing questions, but real questions that are gonna have the other person considering how to answer it. Something like, what was the best part of your day today? That leaves it open for them to tell you about what happened that was delightful for them. Rule number three is to ask questions and make them questions that will require some thought, so that you can get a real answer. And then the fourth rule is to listen. Listen to the answer and actually listen for a couple of keywords, which often will be nouns or they might be emotions. And as you're listening to the response or the answer to this question that you ask the other person, those keywords will jump out at you. And it will give you then an opportunity to reply using those keywords. For instance, if someone said the best part of my day was when I got to have my favorite lunch meal, which was, you know, pepperoni pizza or whatever it might be. Now you think, oh, the keyword is favorite. It could be pepperoni pizza. Uh, And you can also pick up on the excitement of their emotions. So then you say, well, why is pepperoni pizza your favorite? How long have you liked it? or something like that. So you can ask a question back using the person's own words, which helps them to know you listened to them and that you value what they had to say. That's rule number four. And rule number five is it's not about you. Remember that it's not about you. When you're having a conversation with someone, make them feel special. Make them feel important. Make them feel happy to be with you. Give them an experience that will make them wanna be with you again. So those are the five rules of effective conversation. I'll put that out there today address the other person by name, make eye contact, ask questions, listen for keywords in their reply. And then remember, it's not about you. So I hope that your listeners will find those rules helpful to make greater connections with people and to give people that experience we were talking about earlier so that they'll want to have another experience with you.
1: Jackie, it's been a pleasure. It's been fun. It's been exciting. Thank you so much to share who you are, what you are, and your superpower and what makes you a superhuman.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Erin. I had a wonderful time with you. I really appreciate the connection that I have with you.